0: I sit before demand gen in the funnel. So um, I measure myself based on my impact on demand gen, biz dev, sales dev, the closing of deals, list goes on. I don't actually generate revenue. I create an environment that makes generating revenue easier.
1: You just heard a clip from our latest guest on the People Digital Marketing Podcast, the number one resource. For marketers who want to impress their boss and eventually become their boss. And that guest is Evan Patterson. Evan is a B2B marketing consultant, freelancer, startup advisor, content creator, and fractional leader for forward-thinking, progressive businesses. And in this episode, we talk about and do a deep dive into community as a function in a marketing team. Granted, we take a focus on B2B communities Although there is a section in this episode where we talk about the differences between B2C community versus B2B. So that is highlighted. But this episode really is for anyone who works in a marketing team, a B2B marketing team specifically, and wants to stand up the community function or further define the role if it already exists within a team. We'll also be talking about the differences between community as a function versus PR versus influencer marketing, and also the difference between community and executive evangelism, which was talked about in a previous episode with Zoe Hartsfield. So without further ado, let's learn some invaluable lessons about community from Evan Patterson. Hi, Evan. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm, I'm doing good. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today because we'll be talking about a form of marketing, and I guess it's somewhat of a form of marketing and an intersection of sales. You'll correct yes. me if I'm wrong later. Um, we're going to be talking about community and yes. what does it mean for someone to have that in their role. Uh, I personally have only interacted with one coworker in the past that had that role. Um, I work in B2C, so I'm assuming it's wildly different from the B2B world. And without diving too much into the topic, since you are the expert in it, I want to start off by just getting more context on you, Evan. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us the
0: story of how you got into marketing in the first place? Oof. Uh, Yeah. Marketing and I have a uh, long history. Um, So for context, for those listening, I am, at the time of recording, 29 years old. And I fell into marketing by accident as a child. Um, When I was a uh, little gay boy growing up in a very conservative town. So how do you make friends? the internet right so i'm going be like seven or eight years old and like my best friends at the time i like, had a couple of friends in real life you know physically but the majority of the time i was spending my time online hanging out with my friends in the Essex, Essex, uk i had a friend named nicole still talk to her to this day and uh, my friend ethan who was in upstate new york he's now in san diego and then i had another friend um in sydney australia who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago and we were all a couple of years apart in age. And whenever they had like a birthday or something big in their life, you know, I would throw virtual birthday parties or celebrations in the video games that we played, these MMOs that we that were made for children. And I would create event landing pages and posters and posts for forums. This was like before there was like kid-friendly social media sites. And I did that from like age seven till about 13. And then at thirteen, I moved to more, less juvenile, I would say, games. Yeah, and I started working with like more adult MMOs, like Second Life and World of Warcraft, and the list goes on. And over time, a lot of gaming publishing companies um, were looking for people to keep people coming back to either their forums that they hosted for the games or to the game itself. So I started getting paid at 13 and 14 via my parents because of laws um, to create events and um, collateral to keep people to come into the events because the events were in the game or next to the game as we used to wow. call back then. And I thought I was just doing this for fun. I was it was money that was going towards more games and food and Applebee's because when you're 14, that's called going out, you know, so like that was that was like the that was how I fell into it by accident. um, And then, yeah, went to college for about 22 minutes. Read the syllabus and I was like, oh, I've been doing this since I was seven already. Why am I here? And dropped out. And now we're here.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And shout out to Applebee's. I grew up thinking that that was <laughs> the greatest place ever when I was like 14 or 15. And eventually you just stopped going because I realized there's just way better places to eat.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the Applebee's Slam podcast episode.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I love this concept of having an ecosystem around your work life when I was doing research on Put you. Pun intended. Yeah. I I saw that you have a lot, of, a lot of hands in different pots. And there may be listeners, I, I'm asking this selfishly because this is something I'm trying to achieve over time. There may be listeners who are trying to maybe not have seven streams of income that would be ideal but having at least one extra stream of income outside of their nine to five there's a lot of hesitation there too yeah so without going too deep into the tactics but just talking about mindset what recommendations do you have to help someone get started
0: rapid fire charge for output not for time that is how you maximize your
1: budget what does that mean
0: Uh, so for example uh, when you, I don't own a home, so I think they have to pay for this. Um, I don't like the idea of homeownership, controversial opinion. But um, when you get a plumber, right, they cost an arm and a leg, right? They cost. You can you come over? You get a plumber that walks around the house. Five minutes later, they go. All right, I fixed it. Here's your bill, eight hundred dollars, right? You're not paying them eight hundred dollars for those five minutes. That plumber probably went to school for years. And it's probably been doing this for as long as I've been on the planet, which is why they were able to do it in five minutes. So when you're charging for output, that just means you are charging for your experience level, the quality of work, the time saving. Right. So I don't charge anything on an hourly rate. I don't look at like, here's how long it's going to take me to do that. And I tell the, the client that or the employer that I don't do that. I'm like, here's how much my output is worth. Like that is that's that's how I look at it. That's how plumbers do it. That's how electricians do it. That's how um, musicians do it. That's that's there's a lot of industries where that's standard. But for some reason, in B two B tech, we're always like, no, oh, we gotta look at like an annual salary or an hourly wage. And I'm like, no, 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 pay me based on my impact or the worth of the output that you're looking for. So um, for me, that usually comes in the form of paying charging for output. Um, That allows you to figure out what kind of side hustles matter the most to you because you can't charge for output for things that you one aren't good at and two, don't like doing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So yeah. There's there's another layer of this onion I want to peel really quickly. Um, output can depend on the services provided. And How would you define output? This is leading into what you actually do on a daily basis, but how would you define yeah. the output and the impact that you're providing to a business?
0: Well, like you said, it depends on the services provided. Okay. Um, uh, I work in the world of startups, so it also depends on the stage of the company, yeah. too. Um, when you're working with startups, one of the first things you're trying to figure out is like, what are their goals of the company, right? Is it more ARR, MLR, users, um, just eyeballs, right? You know, the list goes on. So uh, once they figure out what their goals are, that kind of helps me figure out what I'm charging, basically, because I know like which one's easier or harder given all the nuanced factors. Um, in community marketing, I'm usually looking for some way to influence um, other parts of the pipeline. If you look at the the funnel from like top, from the beginning of the customer buying cycle all the way down to renewing a year later in the future, especially for SaaS businesses. Um, I sit before demand gen in the funnel. So um, I measure myself based on my impact on demand gen, biz dev, sales dev, the closing of deals, list goes on. I don't actually generate revenue. I create an environment that makes generating revenue easier. So that's usually how I measure my output. And then that's what I'm charging for. Hey there. If you're enjoying this episode and you're a first time listener,
1: why not hit the follow button? My goal with each of these episodes is to introduce a new marketing concept or dive deeper into one so that you can become a better digital marketer. Hopefully, through these episodes, you join me on this journey the path to CMO. So, I'd love it if you subscribed. Thanks for listening so far. Now, this is a great segue into community and what it what it is so let's just start off with what is your definition of community
0: Oof. so a community marketing is all about creating an environment that incentivizes people to be cult following fans of what it is that your business does and the world that your business lives in um so that can manifest in so many different ways but um But that is kind of like the one-sentence definition.
1: (laughs) We talked about this before this recording. Can you provide the distinction between community for business-to-consumer versus business-to-business?
0: It's more so in the execution, less in the actual theory of it, right? So um, I always say a really good way to compare um, community and B2B and B2C is to go for a route that everyone understands, which is influencer marketing, which is one method of Supporting the act of community marketing. It sits under the umbrella of community marketing, quite literally. Um, some people might disagree and say it's more of a demand gen idea. I say it's more of a of a community idea because you're playing organic algorithms, not paid algorithms. Um, but so when you think of a B2C influencer, we're gonna use like um HelloFresh as an example, right? Everybody knows HelloFresh is every single podcast and gamer and the list goes on has had a brand deal with HelloFresh. Okay. HelloFresh is genius at marking this. Also, I'm not getting paid to say this, but I'm also a customer of HelloFresh too. I love them. But um the what they do so well is they understand it's a value play. So they know that the more eyes, ears, the better. That works really well in B2C. That's that you just want to cast a wide net, basically. B2B doesn't work that way. Casting a wide net generally speaking, unless you're selling like Amazon web services or something that like every business needs something like that or slack right um, it doesn't really work like that. so you have to be a little more targeted, right um, it's you can't just like pay someone X amount of dollars and you know you're gonna get a return on investment almost every single time. In b2B it's a little more of a gamble. in B2B you can pay somebody500 dollars to create a post. And post it to their audience of 30,000 people. And what's going to happen is you might not get a single deal out of that. But you're going to get more brand awareness. You're going to get potential leads for your SDRs to chase in the comments or in the likes. Right? You're going to get product feedback in public. You're going to get people's responses, engaged in this on the brand. Right? Um, so in B2B, influencer marketing is a long haul game. It is not a short term game like it is in B2C. So that's the big difference. So copy and paste that logic to community marketing. Everything in B2B takes a little bit longer than it does in B2C. The buying cycle is long, right? So I would say the marketing cycle is going to take longer. So that's the biggest difference in community and B2B is it's not going to take three weeks. It's not going to be, let's slap our logo on something at Coachella and call it a day. That works great in B2C. In B two B, there's a lot more education, a lot more nuance. It's a lot slower. It's a lot more complicated. There's legal. There's a lot more moving parts. There's buying committees. There's no buying committee in your house for whether or not we're going to get a hello. There's a buying committee whether or not we're going to go with Salesforce or HubSpot. So that's what makes it more complicated. That's true. That's
1: very true. But this, this highlights another question I have. This is a very new role, if I'm not mistaken. When when did community marketing yeah, even come
0: about? According to my tax accountant, um, roughly about eight years ago in B2B is when it first started seeing its thing in the B2B world. However, I would argue that this logic and this play, maybe without the job title, has existed for much longer than even I probably don't play it. Um, think of like Macintosh before it was known as Apple, back in like the 80s, and the 90s. They used to put their computers in high schools and colleges. and And Microsoft was like, That doesn't make much sense because you're selling them at like such a wholesale discount. Why? You're not. You're going to lose so much money. Fast forward 23 years later, all these people that went to high school and college um, and used them in school. What's the first thing they buy when they graduate? An apple. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that that was community marketing with before we called it community marketing.
1: This is another term or job title, I would say, that I don't have a lot of insight into. So I would love to know if it falls within community marketing or if it's separate evangelist
0: evangelist is a i would say it falls into community marketing i always say evangelist um easily said is just an in-house influencer i see they, like tim cook at apple let quote apple again you know mickey mouse they can be fabricated they don't have to be a real person um they're the pop stars of marketing they are the manufactured voices of a company um and if anything, like that's something that I do in my own personal branding and marketing play for my business, which I always treat myself as a business. My, my LLC is what they call it Evan Patterson LLC. You know, why have a brand name? I am the brand name, you know? So, you know, evangelism is just really being your own influencer for the, whether it's for your business or for you as the business. Evan, what
1: kind of skills do I need to know and master in order to be good at community marketing?
0: Communication. Um, I would say communication, relationships management. Um, You need to be great at networking. Um, You need to have something about you that is, uh, I guess like you need to be really good at public speaking, whether that's digitally or in person. Um, You need to be very comfortable with that. You need to also enjoy it. Um, Organized, um, whatever that means to you. Because um, I find that most people that do what I do for a living naturally aren't organized <laughs> so that could mean hiring somebody to help you be organized um so uh, it's you're asking somebody who is you're in you're asking them to, to be a bit everywhere all at once for a living so therefore how are they going to be organized um so you know not being very self-aware high eq um if you're a community marketer or a dangerous marketer or a b2b influencer manager and you are not in therapy start therapy yesterday Uh, you have to have a strong level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness because your identity has become the product um, in a lot of different contexts.
1: You mentioned being great at networking. I want to double-click there and get more context because that can mean a thousand different things. How do you approach networking in your role?
0: I approach networking in the same way that it's going to sound kind of cliché. But like when you think of like all those you know people that move to Hollywood and they want to make it big and their whole goal is like, all right, I'm going to move to Hollywood and I'm going to meet as many human beings as possible and go from there. That simple. Literally, that simple. I just focus on meeting as many people and just seeing if there's synergy or I hate that word, but it works in this context. Um, if there's opportunities to tap into, you know, that's that's really all this. I don't go in with an agenda. I'm just very actively listening for cues of opportunities for mutual benefit. Um, I'm literally just making friends at scale. Um, if you're looking to hire someone who's good at this or you're looking to become someone who's good at this, think of it like those people that, are, that travel the world on their own or they can go to a party or club by themselves. They don't need it. They just show up. Right. And if you leave at five or ten new friends, you'd probably be really good at this for a living. I, I love that. Making friends at scale. Now, I don't think that's
1: going to be a good way to pitch this to my manager, and the listeners might need to find some justification. How would you approach a senior leader saying, this is something that we need to stand up and start doing? How do you
0: propose that an investment be
1: made in community?
0: So maybe I'm petty, but I'm of the school of thought that there's a lot of brains and businesses that are already doing this so well that if you haven't already bought into it by 2023, I really question why you still have your job in the first place if you're in marketing or sales. Because people buy from people that they like. Community marketing, evangelism, influence marketing is all about being likable and or making more people aware of you. So that way, if they do like you, there's more people that are able to like you. So if, you know, six out of 10 people like you, and you need to, you know, and, and, th- and three out of those six buy from you and you need to close 30 deals, you need to meet 100 people, right? How, that's that's logical, right? So think of it also with the context of like AEs and SDRs. We all know that AEs and SDRs with strong personal brands on the social media platforms that their ICP hangs out on tend to outperform their peers that aren't active on the same platforms. That's more proof. That's a statistical fact. So we already have a laundry list of reasons as to how this works. So whether you're going to look at this as like a skill that an SDR and AE has or as a full role that you hire for, um, you know, it's going to work out if you give it time and you cultivate it and you hire the right people for the marketer who
1: finds himself in that role it's not necessarily just one of many skills, but they're specialized in community marketing. Who are the people they should be collaborating with every single day internally? Internally?
0: Yeah. Ooh. Um, Demandia marketers are usually my right-hand okay. person. Because that is, yeah. So I live in the world of gray as a, as a community marketer, right? Um, My attribution is all about connecting the dots between seemingly unrelated things and Um, you know, train over every single rock to see what's underneath of it, right? You can't tell a community marketer, you don't need to know that. We get to determine if we need to. We we need to know everything and then we'll tell you, okay, I don't need to know that anymore. You can stop telling that, right? Demand gen is the opposite. It's a little more black and white. They can look at a spreadsheet that tells them, here's what's working, right? So community marketers usually work hand in hand -hand with demand gen marketers. If a community marketer is not also doubling as a content marketer or a partnerships marketer, which is very common in small businesses, um they are probably working with someone who does that as well um and then they're also usually working with anybody who is directly impacted by what they just did um so that's like sdrs bdrs um and then if there's a hiring push sometimes whoever the recruiter is because community has a big impact on employer branding um That's a really good place for, like, entry-level to mid-level community marketers to really think about, like, who do I have to, like, rub shoulders with? Beyond that, the really savvy PhD-level community marketers are really focused on understanding the impacts on the AEs role and the account managers, the CSMs, and the product team. Because everything has a trickled-out effect to all those roles and departments. So I can tell the AE, hey, this is the kind of stuff that people are saying on social so here's what words you should also be using in your demos, right? Here's the here's the emotions that our ICP tends to have before they even get to the AE. Um, hey, CS, and hey, AMs, in a year, this is why people bought. So this is also probably what's going to keep them, you know? Um, is why people are even giving a crap about what we're talking about. Uh, and then product, hey, this is what people need and what because the community market is like, SDR is at booking meetings for yeah. demos. Community marketers are booking meetings for feedback, insights, and thoughts and feelings, right? I don't care if the people that I talk to ever buy, which I know is scary to a lot of revenue leaders. I'm looking for why do they care or not care? And then I relay and translate that data or information or anecdotes, whatever the case may be, to any relevant parties. That's the master level of community marketing is when you can do all of this in one. go.
1: Are you also and I guess this is contextual because it may not be applicable in every organization, but is the community marketer also activating or cultivating the personal brands of other team members, helping them to actually... It depends,
0: yeah. It depends on the community marketer and the organization. Um, With me, usually, because I also do that for a living, personal branding enablement and coaching and support is usually a skill that community marketers have, but I know community marketers that... They're good at doing it, but they have no interest in teaching or skill in teaching it, which is fine. You know, so um, I wouldn't say it's a job requirement, but it's definitely a nice tab. There are community marketers like Zoe Hartsfield and Nick Bennett and Daniel Smeja that do things and Adriana Vidal, like that do things that I have no interest in, you know, or um, I don't know how to do or I know how to do, but I just don't want to do. um, And that's fine. And vice versa. So. No community marketer is the same. Every business has a different need. Also, the stage of the business has a massive impact on what you just described as well. What
1: would be the difference, if there is a difference, between that personal branding enablement and media training that a PR agency would provide? Is there a difference?
0: A little bit. A little bit. Um, A PR is a little more um, systematic in their approach, right? They're looking to get as many eyes as humanly possible. Um, Sometimes the right eyes, too. They care about the right eyes. They care about the numbers. But there is a big overlap between PR and community. Um, Community is usually a little more personal than PR in the context of B2B. And a PR agency is going to slap the company's name on everything. Or maybe a couple of figureheads. you know, those Mickey Mouses, those mascots of the companies. Um, But community marketers are going to look at it a little more holistically. Um, and they're gonna be more doing more hand-to-hand combat. You know, they're gonna be going out to like if I make, my job isn't necessarily to book meetings the close deals, but I am gonna go around to every SDR AE and salesperson and sales leader in the industry and just go, hey, we're working on something cool over here. Would love to see your feedback and thoughts on it. And I even go like, you're not so I can't even sell this to you because you're not even the decision maker. I'm quite literally asking you because we're early stage, can you tell me what you think of this? That's a community marketer's job. PR companies, that's another role I would say that you usually work with as a community marketer. Um, if you're a community marketer, your company has a PR person or a PR agency and you're not in those meetings, get in those meetings. What rituals and routines you
1: have on a weekly, daily basis help you do your job well? Whew,
0: uh, it, it depends on the person once again, but for me, that's a, that's the marketing cliche, it depends. Um, but for me, um, well, what I do is it, it involves a lot of giving myself as a product or service right so taking care of myself really matters to me uh i have a lot of morning rituals and night rituals that like keep my mental health sanity and stuff because i'm divulging a lot of very personal details about my life to get people to trust me and like me awesome things and there's a lot of things that i like, don't hide but like they're just kind of sacred i don't need to tell everyone everything about my life um so that's a big part of it um, also organization, um, Jimmy recorders are not naturally organized people. It doesn't come with the JD or the personality type. So, um, I, I do my best to stay as organized as I can. And I am honest with myself when I struggle with it. So I have people that I pay to organize for me. Um, I outsource chores. I don't do my own laundry. I very rarely do my own cooking. I don't clean my own house. Um, I pay other people for that because, I found that it gave me so much stress and anxiety, even if it took me five minutes to do it, like my mind would make a mountain out of a molehill over this sort of a thing. So just be honest with yourself about like what your stresses are and anxieties are because community marketing is a very emotional role. Um, And anybody tells you otherwise is probably not good at it. (laughs) But like, it's very emotional. Um, Even if you're like Daniel, at now at Apollo, formerly at Chili Piper, like he has a very um, um, data-oriented approach, far more than I say most community marketers at this. But even he'll admit that, like, yeah, emotions do make a massive impact on, like, the success of that role.
1: Before I ask my last question, is there anything important about community marketers that, or community marketing, excuse me, that we haven't covered yet?
0: Woof. Yeah. um Community marketing is not the luxury role that some companies think it is. Some companies love to um, put it in a nice-to-have bucket versus a need-to-have. I would say it used to be a nice-to-have. But a lot of roles that are needs to have right now used to be nice-to-haves, right? So I'm no longer the luxury product. Um, it's not that my value has gone down. It's just my necessity has grown. I am now a role that used to be a thing companies like Google would hire because they had so much money they could just throw it anywhere, Right. Pre-seed and pre launch startups. When I worked at Trender, we were in beta when I first started working there. We just left alpha when I started. So I am now becoming a necessity in marketing hiring. So um, that is one of the things that I love. The companies that are doing well are realizing that this is no longer a luxury. This is a thing that you need in order to compete.
1: What a great way to to sell the role. (laughs) My last... My last question for you, Evan, is hypothetical because time machines do not exist. But if one did and you can go back into the past, about 10 years doing everything you know right now, how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career? Ooh.
0: There's a lot of people. So community marketing has a lot to do with networking. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm a proud college dropout. So the majority of my career success has come from networking, right? Who I know was more effective than what I knew because I could always learn more. Meeting more people was more effective than anything else. So there's a lot of people that I let into my life and get to know me that didn't deserve it. And I did it with the intention of benefiting my career, thinking that also meant benefiting my life. And they're not one in the same. So if it's not making you happy, but it's filling your bank account, there is a time and a place for that. I let that go on after that chapter had closed and it really damaged my mental and physical health and also even some of my personal relationships outside of work. So I think I would have kept my standards higher and I would have not have settled for things when things got slower because even if I just like shut up and waited like two more days something better was coming always. So it was just like a lack of patience. Right. So all that put together, I would, I think I should have just stuck to my guns better and not have lowered the bar out of anxiety and fear. Um, I had a scarcity mindset for the first half of my twenties, I would say now approaching 30. I'm I have very much an abundance mindset. Right now my problems are actually, can I keep up and how do I create more bandwidth? Um, and, to be honest, I had that same problem in my early 20s. I just didn't think I did. Would you say that
1: when when you bring this up, I feel like it reminds me of this concept that I learned, I think, two or three years ago where you have paranoia. You think the universe is conspire, conspiring something against you. Yeah. And then there's pro-noia, which is like the universe is working in
0: your favor. You just have to let it. Yeah. That's what comes to my mind. So, yeah, taking care of yourself first and foremost, being selfish is probably the least selfish thing you can do because everybody else around me also benefited as my proxy. Evan, this has been a fantastic
1: conversation. If anyone wants to say hello to you, where can they go?
0: Not my house, um, but definitely on LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, You can find me on LinkedIn. Just type my name and I will pop up because somebody's good at what they do for a living. Awesome. I will not put your
1: address in the show notes. You don't need to worry about that. Again, thank you for your time today. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to another episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast. As always, here is the agreement that we have as both host and listener. If you've listened to this full episode and haven't done these three things already, please do so. Number one, subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you're listening to this on. Number two, please rate us on whatever app you're listening to this on. And number three, the most important one, please share this with any digital marketer in your network that you think can benefit from these conversations and as always I hope you have a great day Bye. on the next episode of the people digital marketing podcast episode 146 I will have Ben Cortese on the show to talk to us about quantitative research market research is something that at least from what I understand a lot of late stage companies do but Ben, in our conversation, highlights that businesses of all stages should be considering making some form of investment into quantitative research and market research overall. But it can be hard to figure out how to even get started. What does the right research even look like? And I sat down with Ben to help me just do that. Ben leads the marketing sciences group at KS&R, the nationally recognized strategic consultancy and marketing research firm. And he's an expert in this. So why not get some foundational knowledge on market research and quantitative research specifically in the next episode. As always, thanks again for listening. Peace out.